Like you really can't outrun your demons. <laughs> People ask me about that journey and, and brutal is the word that comes to mind. My doctor said, you have to pull back on a lot of this stuff. The question in my heart was, can you heal a broken heart through helping others? Just get outside of yourself and, and help where you can. And I mean, that's how we're gonna heal our communities, I believe. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Sign Out Podcast. Uh, we have another wonderful guest uh, I'm excited to sh share with you guys. Today we have Lauren Trantham, um, who is the founder of Ride My Road, which is an awesome organization that I'll let her tell you more about. Um, but I first just wanna you know, start out with my story and how I came to uh, learn more about Lauren and you know, what led to this podcast. So uh, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, uh, especially episode two, uh, we interviewed an organization called Elijah Rising, which is an organization here in Houston, Texas, um, that is actively trying to get women off the street, provide help for women in sex trafficking. Um, and so this organization, we actually support with the money that we raise from selling our t-shirts from our brand. So if you buy a t-shirt from Sign Out Co., 10% off the top goes straight to Elijah Rising. And we have a passion about bringing education to everyone about sex trafficking in your community. And this occurs all over the US. So as a brand, we like to find others that are you know, using their passion as well to bring light to this situation that's happening um, all around. Now, it's interesting, I don't know Lauren. Well, by the way, welcome to the sh uh, show, Lauren. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Hi, guys. And it's interesting, I don't, I was trying to think back exactly how I found Ride My Road. And I really don't remember if it was a blog post or on Instagram, but somehow I found you right before you started your ride in 2016. And I donated just a little bit of money to that because I was like, this is so cool. Um, and for those of you that don't know about Ride My Road, you can go check it out online, check it out on Instagram. Um, we'll give you all those sites at the end of the show. But I found whether it was an article or just found you online and got to your website, I, I was like, man, this lady is about to do this really cool trip where she's going to ride around the United States and film survivors of sex trafficking. I was like, what a cool thing to do to give these women a voice who at times felt they really didn't have a voice. And then knowing that you were doing that to raise money for another very well-known um, organization, the Rebecca Bender Initiative, which is, does a lot for caring for women who are coming out of sex trafficking. So I just thought it was really cool. And if you've listened to the podcast before, and if you've looked at our shirts, you'll know that we do like motorcycles. One of our shirts is a motorcycle theme. And I was like, man, what a great thing to support. Smite's taking their passion of riding motorcycles, their passion of taking photos, but then giving that as a service uh, to women who at one point didn't have a voice and now they do. So can you talk a little bit about the you know, maybe give a little bit of your background, um, who you are. I, I know you live up in the Northwest these days, and uh, that's where Ride My Road is, but how that came to be and, uh, you know, what Ride My Road is about. Yeah, well, I feel like you did a great explanation. I feel like you did all the, all the work for me. <laughs> Thanks, no, there's, a lot, there's a lot more there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I grew up in Alaska. I started riding motorcycles when I was about 20. I was actually living in Florida at the time. And uh, it really became a big part of my life. I just love to be on the road. I ride with my dad. We do a lot of moto camping. And um, 
a couple of years after I learned to ride, I moved back to the Pacific Northwest in Oregon. And my story really starts with a, a divorce. So I had been married. I thought I was pretty happily married. I mean, I knew it was hard, but I kind of figured everything marriage is hard. So, you know, this is just what it is. What I didn't realize until I got divorced was that it was actually particularly harder because it was an abusive relationship. So as I was going through this divorce in 2015, it was a really, really painful time for me. And I had gone to a counselor and within the first hour, he asked me, Lauren, you've been living in an emotionally abusive relationship. And I really just didn't believe her. I just thought, that's not possible. I'm, a, I'm intelligent. I'm independent. I'm accomplished. I'm confident. No way you can tell me that I'm, I've been in this situation. And then I started to really research what abuse is, and it really gutted me. And I realized, wow, I had been living in this very controlling, manipulative, all of the things you think about when you think of emotional abuse, um, gaslighting, undermining, isolation, was really my life. And it was a tough time for me because not only was I going through a divorce, but it was like an identity crisis. Because I was like, wow, maybe my self-worth isn't actually where I, where I thought it was. And so I really became obsessed with this notion that nobody's immune from abuse. It doesn't matter kind of how smart you think you are or what kind of a home you come from. Unfortunately, there's people out there that manipulate. And, uh, you know, if you have a vulnerable heart and you're open to love, there's a possibility that that might happen. So in order to kind of heal my broken heart and kind of get out of this funk and really reassess who am I, I decided to, to go to the road to go to the road. I wanted to uh, get out of town, get on my motorcycle. So I came up with this idea that I wanted to just leave town and I wanted to ride across the country. And uh, I started doing small trips around Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, just solo trips. And I started to realize like, I'm miserable. Like you really can't outrun your demons. <laughs> like that's, right. There's a reason that expression exists, right? Um, so I started to think about, well, how can, I, how can I still go on the road, but maybe get outside of myself and help others? And I'm a photographer. I'm known as the woman's photographer. So I only photograph women. Um, and I do like a lot of entrepreneurial stuff and headshots and empowerment type photo shoots. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go on the road on my motorcycle with my camera. And I want to see what I can do with that. And really, that's how Ride My Road was born. I was able to partner with the Rebecca Bender Initiative, as you mentioned. Um, they're an organization, they're nationwide, and they have several programs, but the one we fundraised for was the Elevate Academy. And they, uh, they do kind of like rehab for survivors. And, and all of this stuff that we do at Ride My Road is domestic. So we're really interested in raising awareness and funds for American survivors. Um, this does happen in every city in America, as you mentioned. and so. That's what we're all about, and that's what Rebecca Bender's about. So it was a great partnership. Went on the road, did 10,000 miles, spent eight weeks, photographed about 40 survivors, all Elevate graduates, and on that campaign together with RBI, we raised about $60,000. So uh, You say that, like I just went and did 10,000 miles over eight weeks, but for those that don't ride motorcycles, um, doing just a couple hundred miles on a motorcycle during the day is tiring it's it's a lot of just endurance i mean it's people don't realize when you drive a car it's you're so relaxed and comfortable but on a motorcycle you have to be completely aware 
So this was, I mean, it was physically, mentally, it took a lot of effort to do that. It's not just, oh, I did 10,000 miles. I mean, that was a lot of writing. And the other thing I was, when you're talking about earlier about writing um, and you just needed to get away, um, again, when you're writing, now today you have Bluetooth and you can listen to music and all, but a lot of the writing I do is just in silence. And so you're just in your helmet thinking of the day, what's going on, your thoughts. And so that in itself, uh, writing is a way for a lot of people just to really unplug and just go. And so I, when I think about spending eight weeks on my bike, I'm like, wow, that is a long time. But I can imagine, you know, your motivation from stop to stop is to meet that next woman, right? And how cool that must have been. Yeah, I, it it was everything you just described. It was it was brutal. Like people ask me about that journey, and and brutal is the word that comes to mind. I mean, it was phenomenal and fantastic, and we did we did so many good things, but it was really difficult. Um, the the physical fatigue. I was also having a lot of insomnia. Like I was in a lot of emotional pain, my own pain. And then I was meeting these survivors and hearing these stories that I just didn't know about before. I mean, women who had been trafficked as children, trafficked by their family members, by their parents, women who had been trafficked their entire lives, men who were trafficked. It, it, was, it was tough. It was really heart-wrenching. And I had days where I would ride four or 500 miles and I would not stop crying. Like I'm just crying in my helmet. Um, my helmet is just salty. I think like the whole inside, right. I wear a full face <laughs> right. and I think it's just, it's just nice and salty in there. <laughs> it's a lot of tears. <laughs> when you finished that ride though, um, what was that sense like when you got back to the Northwest? And you're able to go back and now you've got all this footage and you, you go back and develop these, you know, pictures on your computer. What was that sense like? Yeah, I tried to edit on the road as much as I could. I had my laptop with me and, and it, it was a lot of shoots. Um, I think I took over 12,000 photos and that's because wow. in the, in the portrait sessions that I do, I take a lot of photos to that then for the survivors, it was a gift. Right. So when I met with a survivor, a couple of things happened. One, I never asked them about their story. That was not the purpose of this journey. I really wanted to give them the gift of photography. So many of them don't have nice portraits and they either have their mug shots or their high school photos. And they have a real disconnect on how they feel versus how they look. Many of them told me that they feel like they're just walking around with a tattoo on their forehead because they're so marginalized in our society. Either we just think, oh, they're prostitutes and they made bad decisions or they're prostitutes and they wanna be there. We really marginalize them as a society and they walk around and they feel that. A lot of them um, are felons. It's a really difficult place to be. So in giving them that gift of photography, I wanted to show them like, you're beautiful, you're worth celebrating and this is how we see you. And so that, that was kind of the premise of those photo shoots. Um, and I did try to edit them on the road because I was giving them anywhere from 80 to 150 portraits of themselves um, in a celebration. So they, we, right. they did outfit changes. We did scenery changes. We shot a lot outdoors. Um, so, but when I got home to answer your, your question, um, yeah, I was still processing through those photos. I was getting a lot of feedback from the survivors. They were telling me things like, I never knew my eyes sparkled so bright or I never knew that I looked so professional, like really moving things they were telling me. So all in all, I mean, it was just incredible. And it's a project that I've continued on. I still 
I'm open to photograph any survivor as a gift. If I'm in your city and you're there, we, we get together and I'll shoot you. So I think the one thing that Elijah Rising has done is um, outside of Houston created a farm um, for restorative care and the restoration of these women who, like you said, continue to feel marginalized is such a big necessity in their recovery. And I can imagine, you know, uh, just what you've done for them, just showing the amount of love towards them and then showing who they really are, that they're wonderful people inside and out. And look at these pictures that that in it, that that's just that one step. That's another step close to being restored and feeling like, oh, I'm fully human now. And I'm not the person walking around with the scarlet letter on me. So I think that's just an incredible thing um, that you did. And again, if you haven't, if you don't know Ride My Road, go check out your Instagram, go, go back to 2016 and relive some of those uh, posts where, you, where you're camping in different spots. I thought that was just really cool to follow you going back then. So that was, you know, that's three years ago. And it's, you know, we followed, I've kind of followed you on Instagram through them. Um, once I started this brand a couple of years ago and I knew it had this component of being um, where we're going to give money to Elijah Rising and support that locally here in Houston. I always, you know, we've been kind of communicating back and forth and you've done some things for us, giving some t-shirts away at events, but Ride My Road is still there and it's still going. It's still a, uh, a organization that you're using to educate and empower. Um, I've seen you out of some different things. So talk about um, what, how your life's changed um, because you have Ride My Road and you're keeping it going. What you're continuing to do with that. Yeah. When, when I got home from the road, we really, it was really phenomenal because we, we just got so much support on the road. And it, I think it surprised all of us because we really didn't know what we were doing. Like when I set out on the road, I didn't know anything about social media. I didn't know anything about press releases, right? So we literally winged it and it shocked us how much it was resonating with people. Um, I was out on the road talking about abusive relationships and vulnerabilities and trafficking, but also really trying to inspire people to understand that a lot like what you guys do, that you can use your passion for a purpose. And you can find things that you care about and make a difference. And it's not actually that hard. We're living in a time where it's just overwhelming. There's so many causes to get behind, whether it's saving the bees or the hurricane that just happened or sex trafficking, like, or the whales. I mean, I think we as a society, we're so aware of all of the problems that it just stops us in our tracks. And so part of Ride My Road, and I think same with Sign Out Co., is really just trying to, to get people to understand that you can make a difference by using your passion. And so after I got home from the road, we were just surprised how the momentum continued. Um, all the way through 2017, we were booking speaking gigs, doing events, getting articles, being invited. I was in Iron and Air, uh, lots of YouTube stuff, podcasts. Um, and I think that's just because that resonates with people. People want to understand that they can make a difference. Um, and so after 2017, I really had a crash. Um, my personal story is that I had gone through all of that pain and then learned about trafficking and I had literally run myself ragged. I was having injuries from the ride, insomnia. I was sick all the time. I weighed like 109 pounds. It was a great year, but it was also very difficult. And so the timeline goes that in 2018, I crashed and my doctor said, you have to pull back on a lot of this stuff. And I really took 2018 to rest and reevaluate what could Ride My Road be. So to answer your question, 
we really started focusing in a different direction. I wanted to make Ride My Road bigger than me and just my ride and make it more of a collective where, again, bikers can feel like they can make a difference. And so you talk about Elijah Rising and it sounds like, I mean, they're such a great organization and they focus on restoration. We're focusing on, and right, so for restoration, that's where you meet the survivor after they've come out of the life to help restore, help right. with job placement, uh, resume writing, trauma, PTSD, all of that stuff. We've actually shifted our focus in Ride My Road to demand reduction. Um, this is a demand issue. And in my, in my mind, I believe that if we could get men to stop buying sex, then sex trafficking wouldn't exist. And so long answer to your question, we are focusing on demand reduction within the motorcycle community. And we've shifted now to a hundred percent. We're a fundraising org. So we raise funds within the motorcycle community and we give out grants to organizations that are led by survivors. Right. That's, that, that's, that, no, that's a, that's a great answer. I mean, um, Elijah Rising, they do, they do restorative, but they're also front end. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they walk in, they, they, they go visit the women in all the spas around Houston um, and go in and, you know, just try to help them. They talk to the men who are walking in um, outside. So very, they do a lot of interesting things. But I, what's, this whole sex trafficking thing, it's amazing how you and I, you know, I researched it, you know, three years ago through on how I came to know about it was because of Elijah Rising. Um, there's a whole story about me seeing that sign going up on my way to work and it was going up and that's in the building that that was there didn't make sense. That sign didn't make sense for that building. That building was a known spa and I'd pass it all the time. And so I was like, well, let me go look that up. And I was like, Elijah Rising, that's not what you would see at a massage parlor in Houston. And then I, so I started learning more about it. But what's interesting is you and I have this knowledge, but a lot of people have no idea that this is going on. They have no idea that in their community, I live west of Houston in a nice community. Um, Elijah Rising, Rising actually does a bus tour in my community to show you where all the spas are, that where sex is going on, um, you know, at night where they, you know, bad things are happening. And people um, have a hard time understanding that wow, it really is everywhere. And so we need, everyone needs to know about it. And so like you being in the motorcycle community, that's a huge community in the States. Um, and I, what, you, what I've seen so far too from your events is the positive results you're getting from the men um, and women in the, uh, the motorcycle community to what you're doing. And, you know, it's, it's, my goal is for everybody to understand that this happens everywhere, all income levels. Um, and I also knew about it because a friend of mine's daughter who was in our community um, was going to be a senior in high school. And next thing you know, she swept out of the house through a grooming process. And that was a crazy few weeks um, watching them search for her and find her and um, get her back. So it's, it happens everywhere. But I, I just, that's why I just, again, just want everybody to take some time and go, you know, think about or go see what I can do in my community. And it is interesting. You're talking about there's so many passions out there. People have or so many causes they can, um, they can support. And yeah, what you're doing supports sex trafficking, what we're doing and, you know, kind of as a sales, you know, as we raise money, we give money away to sex trafficking. But part of, you know, I think the message there too, and I'd like to hear your take is what you get out of just serving for you. It's serving these women and serving others to raise money 
but if it's for you, it's sex trafficking, but what would you tell others just what you benefit from finding a cause that is making things better in your community and serving and how you feel about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I mentioned before, like Ride My Road started, I had this question, um, question in my heart, which was, can you heal a broken heart through helping others? And um, I think that question applies to everybody. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pain. Um, I feel like we're a very privileged society, but we also struggle a lot. And so we have to find that balance between using that privilege for good and just really getting outside of our own problems. And I do think that that perspective is everything. I mean, the minute you can stop thinking about your bills and go help somebody who has less than you, <laughs> right? Suddenly your problems don't see, seem so big. And um, so, yeah, I just, I encourage people to get outside of themselves, especially when you're struggling, like more than ever. Um, you know, don't just get bogged down in your problems and your issue. Um, don't, don't kind of worship, don't worship the struggle. Like get outside of yourself and, and you'll see that in serving, you do heal. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. And so people ask me, cause I, I talk about a lot about that question. Can you heal a broken heart through helping others? And I have to say, yes, absolutely you can. And I almost feel like it's the only way to really wholly heal. You know, we're social creatures and community is everything. And so, yeah, just what you're saying, if you can get out and serve, not only does it benefit you and heal the broken parts, because we all have broken parts, whether you've gone through a divorce or an abusive relationship, or it could be anything. It could be an eating disorder or anything. Get outside of yourself and you'll start to see eventually you will heal and you're helping others in, 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 the, in the same time. So, I mean, that's just incredible. I, I totally agree. I, um, we were just talking, a buddy of mine, we were just talking uh, yesterday morning about, we were specifically talking about sign out and, you know, for us kind of synthesizing what that means. And we were talking about the idea of just signing out to serve and just how that, um, you know, the ability for somebody to say, you know what, I need to get away and I need to go do something else. And the interesting part about that is, you know, some people look at just giving money as the way to serve. And I found too that when you get down into the weeds and you take your time and you use your just, hey, I've got some Saturday um, morning available. What can I go do? That really doesn't cost you money. That You can get a lot out of that too. Showing up and just being present from a community standpoint um, does amazing things. It doesn't cost you a lot. Yeah. And also I think there's, there's so many ways to help when we talk about using your passion for a purpose, like maybe you don't want to go serve at the soup kitchen on Sunday, but maybe you're really good at graphic design. There's a lot of orgs out there that need graphic design to get their message out. Um, maybe, maybe there's an org and they don't know how to do an Excel spreadsheet. You know, like there's a lot of things. If you can sit down and list out some of the things that are really you're good at, people need that. So whether it's, whether it's for a big organization or your next door neighbor, you know, maybe your next door neighbor needs a little help with something like just get outside of yourself and, and help where you can. And I mean, that's how we're going to heal our communities. I believe. Yeah, I agree. I think everything's local, right? It's you take care of what's around you and that just spreads to people taking care of what's around them, which gets bigger and bigger. And I think that's a, a really 
cool thing. So you all, you know, you've done a couple of things over on your side of the state. Um, your the fast ride you did. Are y'all looking to push further across the U.S. and um, yeah, Texas is any, on our list. <laughs> it's the great state, a big one. Yeah, well, I've been in, I've been invited. Like we've we've definitely been thinking about it. So I've I've gone on to partner with the Epic Project. Uh, they are a phenomenal organization. They're also nationwide, and they really are into this demand disruption. And they are men right. fighting trafficking. And the founder, Tom Perez, is also a biker. So Tom and I have partnered on the Fast Ride, which you mentioned, which is fighting against sex trafficking. We've held a couple in Southern California. Um, we have some good connections down there. So really, like when we look at doing an event in a city, we really just need to find out who's our connections. Because there's a lot of legwork. I mean, putting on an, an event in a state where you don't live, you have to lean on others. So we found that in Southern California. And uh, then we got invited to Sturgis. So we just came back from Sturgis and uh, we've been invited again next year. So for 2020, we have some, some big plans. Um, I'll be doing SoCal in May and then I haven't announced this anywhere yet, but I'm working on um, a, another ride for, for me and it's going to be 5,000 miles and it's going to be in July and August. And I'll be doing, uh, I think, seven or eight states through middle America. So it'll be awesome. Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Kansas City, and then ending up at Sturgis for the rally. Um, we're looking, I'm going to stop at 10 Indian dealerships, I hope. Hope to be partnering with Indian on this. And then um, five major events in a couple of those cities across the way in Indian at Sturgis. So it'll be the first time I'm back out on the road. I mentioned that I had some injuries that have kept me off the bike for almost two years. I didn't ride and uh, I'm, I'm getting healthier again. And I know that a lot of the influence that we have is when we're on the road. So Texas is definitely in the short list. Um, but again, it's like, man, that the years they're starting to fly by right. and these events are a lot of work. So we, we want to come to Texas. We want to reach out to the East coast as well. But, but next up is uh, middle America. That's awesome. Yeah, you could probably do 5,000 miles in Texas and you're still just riding around Texas. In Texas, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's insane how big it is. Uh, one thing I want to go back to and just touch on, you mentioned it a couple of times, is, is the demand aspect that's creating all this. Um, what are y'all doing when you're at like Fast Ride? What is your message to these men that, you know, in the motorcycle community um, that really relates to any man in any community. What is, what's that message that you are saying? Well, there's, you know, there's some statistics that are coming out um, from demand abolition that talk about who is it that's buying sex? Like who's, this is a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States. Who, who's doing that? Like who's that, who are these men who are actually buying sex? The statistics that are coming out is that 80% of American men will never buy sex. They just won't. So that leaves us 20%. Of that 20% of men who purchase sex, 80% of them answered questions and surveys saying that they buy pretty much on the premise that it's just part of being a man. That it's normal, it's normal American culture. You get strippers at your bachelor party and you get prostitutes and it's just part of being a man. And a lot of them actually indicated that their first sex buying experience was because another man bought that sex for them. 
So it's, it's a man-to-man issue. And um, so when we're out at the Fast Ride, when we're out doing our events and our public speaking, we're targeting the 80% of men who, who don't buy. The good, you know, there's good men. Right. Uh, our country's full of good men. And uh, we want to leverage that group of men who don't buy to just reach out to their friends. And to say like, oh, hey, maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't go to the strip club for the bachelor party. Like, let's think about something else. And so really, we're targeting men to talk to other men. So it's actually quite basic. And I think with a little bit of tools and a little bit of knowledge, that 80% can really make a huge impact. If you have a man that you respect coming to you and saying, actually, it's not cool to buy sex. It's not part of being a man. Like, it's not what makes you masculine and tough. and all of this, like, you know, there's going to be change, there's going to be shift. And so that's really what the Epic Project does. They are men fighting trafficking. And so they intercept sex buys. They set up phone lines and they receive calls from men that are looking to buy sex, sometimes underage sex. And they say like, hey, don't hang up. We want to have a conversation with you um, about what it really means to buy commercial sex and how buying commercial sex fuels the trafficking industry. So really that's what we're focused on. One of the pillars of Ride My Road is that we celebrate, we celebrate men. You know, we need men. We, we adore men. Like we need men to be protectors. And so a lot of what I do on Ride My Road is certainly in my social medias is just like commending you guys that are out making a difference, that are raising good families, that are treating people with respect. Um, You know, we need that. And I feel like masculinity is, under such attack and it just breaks my heart we need masculine men like we need you guys to stand up not all masculinity is toxic and certainly that that exists and we need to keep it in its place but i feel like it's spilling over and now men don't know how to be men and they feel like oh if i if i do that i'll be criticized and it's a really sad time and so at ride my road like we want to be very clear like we like manly men be manly be the protector um, speak out against this, protect women, protect women and children, protect the vulnerable. That's, that's such a, you said it very well. I mean, that's a great message um, for men to be masculine men, which means to protect the vulnerable, the sick, the widow, um, the broken, all those categories. That's really what uh, we should do as fathers, as friends. Um, so I, I think that was, very well put. Um, that's it's kind of, uh, I just like hearing somebody come out, especially a woman, say it that way and talk about the need to um, have these masculine men. So I really do appreciate that. You know, the interesting part, and I don't know legislatively a lot, but it does seem that, you know, the demand, the man gets away pretty easy in these situations. And it's the woman who's greatly impacted when um, they've been busted by police. And I don't know the answer to that, but I think definitely trying to figure out how that gets reversed so that we're not impacting women for life. Um, and do you have any in- input on that or thoughts on, you know, that those aspects? Yeah, I've, I've uh, you know, I'm pretty new to this, to this movement. I mean, before 2016, I, was like the rest of the population in kind of assuming that trafficking just happens abroad in the third world developing nation. It doesn't happen here. So, but what I've seen and what I've learned even just over the last three or four years is that times are changing. Um, There's a lot of, there's a lot of education happening at, 
at the law enforcement level, people like Rebecca Bender and Tom Perez of the Epic Project that are going out and educating law enforcement. Legislation-wise, I think, yes, buyers are getting more penalized. They're trying to find a model that works on what actually deters somebody from that. Um, and they're, they're working it out. Um, they're starting to offer more services to the victims, which begins by identifying them as victims. Right. Before, like you said, it was like, oh, they're prostitutes. Let's put them in jail. With the buyers, it's like, you know, go home before I call your wife. Right. That's changing. Buyers are being held accountable and victims, even though they may still be arrested, they are offered different services on the on the back end. So, I mean, we can just keep spreading awareness. Um, if you live in a city, you can reach out to your local police department and and request that they be trained in human trafficking. There's a lot of organizations out there that do this. And that's up to us. That's up to us to say to our law enforcement we want you guys to get trained in this so that we can understand this better and handle it differently. And that's where the change comes from. Yeah. You know, my goal with talking to you today, and I really appreciate your time is just for people to understand that there's so many ways to go about understanding what's going on in your community, figuring out a way to serve in your community. And in this case, from a sex trafficking, human trafficking standpoint, I think everyone should know about it. doesn't matter where you live. It's happening. I mean, I live, I'm about six miles um, south of I-10, and I-10 is the major highway that goes from California to Florida, and through Houston, that is like the most trafficked highway um, in America, I think. There's just the amount of victims that are travel along I-10, so it's, you know, very close to home when you live right on a highway where there's that many women that are being brought into Houston for this, um, for these reasons, or, you know, funneled all the way across the U.S. Um, it's, so it's something that everybody needs to know about. But I, I again, I appreciate uh, your time today. Could you tell me all the different ways that people, if they want to get in contact with you, what's the best way they can do that, Lauren? Yeah, my, all of my social media, my website, everything is Ride My Road. So website's ridemyroad.org and all of my social media is just Ride My Road. Um, I do a lot on Facebook and on Instagram. And certainly we're going to be ramping all of that up for next year if, if I'm back out on the road. We're going to be campaigning. I'm inviting bikers to come along with me on this journey. The last time was a solo trip. Right. And this time I want it to, to be more about that national collective. So if you want to come and ride with me for a day or a week, and uh, at Ride My Road, we teach bikers how to raise funds. So we put you through some educational modules on what is trafficking, partnered with the University of Northern Colorado for that, that aspect. And then, uh, yeah, we teach you how to fundraise and you can set up your own fundraising page. So if you go to my website and, and there's a tab that says, join us, you can create your own page and fundraise within your own community. We've got big goals for next year. So stay tuned for all of that. And, uh, one thing, I, one thing, other thing I want to mention is that I do get a lot of messages, um, from men who say, I want to get involved in this because I have daughters. Right. We, we talk about this as like a woman's issue. First of all, men are trafficked as well, especially right. like young, young boys. Like this is not just a woman's issue. Secondly, I've, I, I want to say to men, it's great to be concerned about your daughters and it's great to understand what the signs are of grooming. Like you mentioned in your, your family friend situation, what grooming looks like, what, a, what happens when a boyfriend comes along and he's a little bit too good to be true what to do in those situations. But I really want to challenge men to 
have these conversations, not about their daughters, but about their sons. This is an industry that's driven by males. And if we can catch this next generation at the age that they're at and say, hey, it's not cool to buy sex. This is how we respect women. That's also going to help. So that's just a note out there to all the dads that write me and say, I care about this issue because of my daughters. I want to say you should care about this issue because of your sons as well. That is so true. I am a dad with daughters who like to wear their ride my road hat. Um, but uh, I think that's so true. I mean, this just goes back to demand and where demand comes from and mm -hmm. what young boys have access to today is unreal versus what I had access to in the back when I was growing up in the eighties, it's just a totally different world. And so it's, now is the most important time for fathers to be involved in their son's lives on this is how women should be treated. This Absolutely. is what it means to be a man is to treat a woman. So that's, that's very well said. Well, I, I mean, I'm so thankful that you came on. Um, I hope that we can continue to cross paths uh, through both of our ventures, but uh, I really just appreciate uh, you doing this today. So yeah, thanks, thanks for thanks. having me. I love my Moto Man tee. I get so many compliments when I wear that shirt. <laughs> it's one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. If you want to see that Moto Man t-shirt that Lauren mentioned, you can head over to signoutco.com. You'll also see a bunch of other original design t-shirts that we made. Make sure you check out Ride My Road org to follow and get involved in what Lauren is doing. If you could please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, that really helps us out. Today's episode was produced by Daniel Thornton and myself, Caleb J. Murphy. Um, I also made the music. If you'd like to hear more of that, check out calebjmurphy.com. As always, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time.